by Jason and the, and the team. Thank you guys. That was uh, amazing and so true. And how we do the Lord's Supper, just in case you, you, you didn't know, we, we allow you to take that on your timing um, as you feel led by the Lord, as you examine your heart, and as you feel peace from God to go about doing that, um, the invitation is, is, is open to you. So feel free to do that if you're still holding on to the elements. Um, we're not going to tell you when to take them, all right? That, that is uh, between you and, and, and God. So good. So glad to be here. If you're joining us online, I want to welcome you as well and glad that you're joining in with us here at Walk Church today. We've been walking through an amazing series here at Walk Church that we've titled Identity Theft. And we've been studying the character of David in the Bible and learning light lessons on identity. Have y'all enjoyed the Identity Theft series so far? Yes. Has it been sweet? Well, I know one person has. I'm with you, bro. I, I, I've, been, uh, I've been filled up as we've taken David's story and specifically this story about him and his battle against Goliath and have been peering into this story and saying, all right, God, where am I at in the story? And what can I learn from this story? And how can I be a part? And how, how can I grow because of what you're speaking to us here today? I want to go ahead and recap a little bit of the last five weeks for us as this will be the sixth installment of this series of identity theft. And I believe we'll go a little bit deeper as we continue to talk today. We've been trying to point out different identity thieves because identity is so important and who, who you are is, is very important to God and who you think you are is important to how you live. I want to pull up just a quick definition of the word identity that we have here on the screen for you in just a minute uh, because identity is so crucial and if you don't know your identity or, or you don't know what you believe in when it, when it comes to this phrase identity, You'll be lost in this series. And so many th different things can try to creep in and become a thief for identity. If we have that definition, I just want to pull it up right now. Here it is. The condition of being oneself or itself and not the other. So for example, one of the main identity thieves we've, we've, we've looked at this, this so far is the identity thief of fear. Right? And we know that God hasn't created a spirit of fear in us. He hasn't created us to be fearful. And so it's the condition of being oneself and not the other. So fear will try to creep in and say, no, you're scared. Or we've talked about the identity theft of comparison. And when we compare, it's a snare. When we compare, we start to, to um, measure ourselves compared to somebody else. Or what somebody else has. Or what somebody else does. And what then happens is we begin our, to, to shift our identity from how God has created us and shaped us and formed us and knit us together. We begin to think, no, I, I, my identity is somebody else. Or another identity thief is what we have, as if we're defined by our stuff. And if we begin to place our identity in our stuff, we'll never have enough. We'll always need the new shoe coming out. We'll always need the, the new style that's, that's trending. We'll always need more likes and more retweets and more people uh, that are all about us. And really what God wants us to do is say, I want your identity to be in me. I want your identity to be so secure in Christ, in who you are in Jesus, that stuff, status, comparison could not compare to what he has for you. And that's what we're talking about in this series. So I want to invite you to open up in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we'll begin in verse 55. Before we turn there, though, before we, before we read these verses, if this is your first time here joining us, 
First, I would like to invite you to, to catch up. If you want to go to walkchurch.com, you can view the other sermons. Uh, but if, if not, I want to just go ahead and catch you up. Uh, the Israelites are known as God's chosen people. All right, if you got all that, say, I got it. All right, so the Israelites are God's people. God says that I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to send you into the promised land. I'm going to send you into a place where I'm, I'm, there's going to be flowing of milk and honey. It's going to be just for you. It's going to be God and his people in this land. And it takes a whole long journey for them to get there. And when they finally do arrive in this place that God had prepared for them, other people in camps and armies started to arise against God's people. And one of these groups is known as the Philistines. The Philistines were a group of people that were not by Jewish descent, that had trouble and struggle with God's chosen people. And they said, hey, listen, we want to go in and take over the land that God gave them. And we want to prove to them that their God is not real. We want to show them that their God is not alive and that our false gods, lowercase g, are really what matters. And so the Philistines were at war with the Israelites. They came into battle against them. And the, the Israelites had appointed a new king by the name of Saul. You guys remember some of this now? Right, and so Saul is this big, bad, buff, tough dude in Israel who they've appointed as king. And they've said, hey, Saul, why don't you go ahead and lead us into battle against the Philistines to let them know that our God reigns. And so Saul says, let's do it. He steps out as a champion would do. The Philistines send their champion out, and his name is Goliath, this big nine-foot-six dude. Right, that's a big fella, amen? Like, I've never met a nine-foot-six guy. But uh, I would probably be scared if I did. They said that he, he, he carried a javelin on his back and his sword across his chest weighed 125 pounds. Now, um, 125 pound, uh, that's, that's, that's a big sword, right? And so Goliath steps out. King Saul says, listen, I'm not going to fight this battle. Somebody else is going to fight it for me. Who's with me? All the Israelites are scared to death. They're terrified. They're not going to fight the battle. And then we get introduced to our third character whose name is David. Everybody say, what's up, David? What's up, David? There we go. David shows up on the scene. And now David's title was a shepherd boy. What that means is that he would stay um, amongst the sheep in the sheep field and he would go ahead and make sure that they had everything that they needed. He would feed the sheep. He would water the sheep. He would lead the sheep. And it was a pretty low maintenance. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty non-glamorous job. David was the, the eighth brother of his um, family. He was the youngest, and he was the one that was often most times picked on. Um, he wasn't often selected, but I praise God that, that, that God selects what man rejects. Amen? Amen? That God would go ahead and say, you know what, I'll, I'll select you. I'll choose you to do something that uh, no one else would ever pick you to do, that no one else would see you fit for, that you would, most other people would say you're disqualified, God was, would love to qualify you today. So just in case you walked in here thinking that you're rejected, that you're not qualified, you're not equipped enough, you're not strong enough, you're not, you're not powerful enough, you're not studied up enough, all those identity thieves, let God speak to you and say, no, you're just the right person. You're just the right person that I'm looking for to get the job done. And so David is now in the sheep field and he gets instruction from his father named Jesse to go check on his brothers. Now, his brothers had joined the Israelite army. So remember I told you about the people that were on this side scared? Like, I'm not about to do nothing at all? Well, his oldest brother, Eliab, was part of the army ranks. And David went over to check on Eliab and his family and said, Hey, do you guys need anything? I like to picture David as the water boy. You guys know what a water boy is? Right? He's the boy that goes and gets the water for the team. 
All right, nothing wrong with that. That's a powerful position, especially when you're in need of water. And so David says, you know what, I'm going to lead the sheep here, and I'm going to go check on my brothers. Hey, brothers, y'all need a drink? And they're like, man, we haven't done nothing. We're scared. We don't need any water. He's like, all right, well, I'm, I'm, all right, I'll be over here with the sheep then. If y'all need me, just ring the bell, you know? David's that guy. Until one day when he's asking his brothers if they're okay, he sees from a distance Goliath show up, step out, and begin taunting their God. And not only their God, but the armies as well. And so David says, who is this guy? Like, are you guys going to let him talk like that? Are you guys going to let him disrespect the armies of the living God? If you don't remember that message, I preached on the power of perspective. See, everybody saw Goliath as this big, bad, tough enemy and that they, that, that they would be defeated by him if they tried. David said, my God is so much bigger than him that we can get the job done today if we need to. It was a perspective shift. It was a mindset shift. I love how the proverb says, what you think you are, you will be. Right? David saw himself as victorious when everybody else saw him as a loser. That's a word for somebody here today. You have to have a God-sized perspective that you shape your life by because God sought you so, so valuable that he would send his own son to die for you. That's how, that's how valuable you are. And that victorious life Jesus lives is now in us. And so David tells, tells his army, he says, listen, I can take this guy. And so everybody says, you're too small, you're not experienced enough. And so one person says, hey, let's go tell King Saul because Saul's looking for somebody to fight for him. So now David is brought before Saul. And, and King Saul says, dude, what are you doing, man? Like, you're, you're a young kid. You're going to fight Goliath? And, and I love what David says here. And I love just recapping this. Some of this is going to be uh, fresh for you. Some of this maybe you've heard before. But what does David draw upon in that conversation with Goliath? Essentially what he says, he says, I'm prepared for this. My past has prepared me for this. He says, many of you don't know this, but when I've been in the sheep field, a bear would come out of the, the wilderness and try to steal one of the sheep. I would fight the bear. A lion would try to creep in and try to steal one of the sheep. I would grab the lion by its beard and kill it. Goliath will be like one of them. I love that type of perspective. The perspective that says, the battles that I fought in my privacy will lead to my future public victory, right? That when people are there, they're going to see all the stuff that I was working on when no one else saw. I preached this to some of our athletes at Dell. So I said, look, when, when you're out there training and working out and nobody else is around, that's preparing you for when everybody's around. That's getting you ready. And the same, the same thing that you take off in your private life will be the thing that God doesn't allow you to do in your public life because he knows you weren't ready. And David says, I'm ready. I'm ready. I've been doing this. Let's do it. And Saul, I love Saul, says, all right, I'm going to go ahead and equip you to do it. He puts his own armor, armor on him. David says, look, I can't be effective in your armor. I only can be effective in how God's created me to be. He strips ar Saul's armor off, and he says, I'm going to go fight this battle. And last week we saw David pull out his slingshot. He had five smooth stones. These were not little baby marbles. These were big old stones. And he slung this stone at Goliath. And I believe that God in his spirit took this stone and placed it perfectly on Goliath's forehead. It sunk into his forehead and immediately killed him. Goliath fell down. And if you don't know what happened next, David uh, pulled Goliath's own sword out. Come on. Cut Goliath's head off and held it up. That is gangsta David right there. I love it. 
If you've never, maybe you, maybe you have missed David of the Bible, right? He is true G. True G. The title of my message today is True G. Gay, David cuts Goliath's head off with his own sword. I love, that, that, there's some, there's, there is some perspective here for us with that, right? Like, for example, the devil said, you know what, if I can just kill Jesus... If I can just stop Jesus, if I can just kill Jesus, then I'll win. Essentially, he was cutting himself, his head off with his own sword. Because the more you kill Jesus, the more people can get saved. Right? As Jesus is on the cross shedding his blood, we're over here partaking in it. We're able to be set free and forgiven and made new because our Savior died on the cross and rose from the grave. And so the same way we can parallel because we believe the Old Testament points to the New Testament, right? These stories of old are just shadows of Christ. Jesus is the better David. Jesus is the true victor. Jesus is the better King Saul that didn't shy away from the battle but went right into the battle, right? Jesus won the battle on the cross. Jesus is the greater and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, didn't fail the test, Jesus is the better Noah, the better Moses. He didn't have to wander around for 40 years. He actually fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and won the battle against the enemy on that mountain. Jesus is the greater and better us. That's why we need to be in him so bad. That's why our name at Walk Church is Walk Church because we don't walk in ourselves, but we walk in him. So when you show up in Christ, everything changes. And, and we see David here as a picture of this. So that's where we pick it up. We just saw David cut off Goliath's head with his own sword and hold it up. And then we push pause on the message. And that's why you came back today, isn't it? Right? Y'all ready? All right, let's do this. If you're ready to eat, say, let's eat. All right, verse 55. As soon as Saul said, saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, he said, Abner, whose son is this youth? Right? Can you picture it? Saul's like, who is that guy? Dang. He just killed the brother. And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. And the king said, well, inquire whose son the boy is. I got to find this little boy's dad. I got to give him like a handshake or something. I got to know who this is. Verse 56. Let's keep reading. Verse 57. Well, and as soon as David returned from striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Pastor Dan, you like that comment right there, right? I mean, like, David shows up and he's like, I, I still, I got to carry the head around. Like, why do you still have that, man? Like, good night. Just to show Saul that he was qualified. See, see just, just an hour ago, Saul said, you're not qualified. Look at that picture. Just an hour ago, Saul didn't even know who this guy was, Right? You're not qualified enough, young man. You, you stay in the sheep field. You play your harp. You know, do your part. And now he shows up. What's up, Saul? <laughs> you, you, you need me? You know? Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Verse 58. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered him, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Now, we could go a lot deeper into that. It's important that he's the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite because Jesus was prophesied that he would come from Bethlehem, the son of David, who was the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. But let's keep going. Let's keep reading. I want us to go to the next verse uh, uh, here into chapter, eight, verse five, chapter 18, verse 5 through 9. 
Chapter 18, verse 5 through 9. It says, and then David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul sent him over the men of war. So what happens here in, in between those last five verses is that Saul said, I want David to come to my house. Saul, Saul was so impressed with David that he invited him over. Saul's son, Jonathan, grew a tight-knit friendship with David to where they were so close. They were best buds. They were BFFs. Best friend forever, if you don't need to know what that means. Um, they, they, they were really tight. They were really close. And so Saul said, hey, David, I know that your dad is Jesse, but I want you to live with me. And so now David is le living with the king. He's best friends with his son, Jonathan. And here we see that David went out with the armies and all of a sudden became the leader of the entire thing, wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over, set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Verse 6, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. And here's the song that they sang. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Verse 8. Get ready for the identity thief to creep in. Saul was very angry. This saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they've ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Look at the shift in the atmosphere, right? I want to show it to you in the NLT version because maybe this might bring a little bit more umph to it. All right? The NLT says, this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. He was speaking it, wasn't he? Verse 9. Read this verse 9 with me off the screen. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. One of the biggest identity thieves in our culture today is jealousy. From that day on, Saul no longer looked at David like this is a man of God, this is a brother, this is a friend, this is somebody who helped me in my battle, this is somebody who brought victory to our land. Instead, Saul looked at him with a jealous eye. And I just want to encourage you today that, that jealousy doesn't bring forth anything but discouragement. I'll tell you what, when, 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 when you have your identity in jealousy, you'll never be satisfied. When you have your identity in Jesus, right, you have no choice but to be satisfied because you're no longer jealous of somebody else, but you're content because of who he is, because of who your God is in you and through you. We see this identity thief of jealousy. I'm so challenged by this because it says from that day on, he looked at him with a jealous eye. I find this to be interesting because it seems like the soon as you start winning, it's that's when people start looking at you with a jealous eye. The soon as you start doing something right, the soon as you start having victory in your life, all of a sudden the haters start coming out. All of a sudden people want to start talking about you now. 
Yesterday, Saul couldn't care less about David. Now he's winning, and he looks at him with a jealous eye. Have you ever experienced something like that? I don't know. I have. I, I, I feel like even in my walk with Jesus, it's like, oh, now you want to stop cursing at work, maybe. And now people are, oh, you're so holier than thou. Oh, yeah, you went, you went to church. Now you're better than everybody. Oh, man, you, you can't go to the club because you went to charge group. Oh, man, you're not. Right? And, and what happens is all of a sudden you start winning. And people start hating. And it's truly an identity thief. And we see this here in David's life. As Saul began to look at him with this jealous eye. And what caused the jealousy? Let's talk about that. What caused Saul to be so upset? It was insecurity. Another identity thief, right? It was, hey, how come the, 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 the singers are not singing about me? They're singing about him. I'll tell you what, there's identity thieves all over these passages, right? Even the women who were, the worship team had an identity thief. They stopped singing songs to God. They started singing songs about men, right? They stopped, they stopped saying, God delivered us out of the hand of Goliath. Let's praise the Lord because he is the victor. And they started to transfigure. They started to go ahead and say, you know what, God, we're going to take your glory and give it to this David. We're going to give it to Saul. Whenever we mess with God's glory, it always gets messy. It always causes division. It always causes struggle and strongholds. It's this idea of jealousy. It's this idea of, of coveting. It's this idea of being envious. I want to pull up a definition of these three words. If, if you're not familiar with these three words, I want to give you the, ident- the, the definition of these three because it's important. These are three thieves that I really want to encourage you, Walk Church, to watch out for. Because thieves ultimately want to steal something from us, right? That's what a thief is, isn't it? A thief wants to steal something. In John 10.10, 10, it says the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. I believe he wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your life. And he wants to destroy your legacy. <coughs> The enemy would love to destroy your legacy. The enemy would love to kill your life. The enemy would love to steal your joy. And here are three thieves that, would, that he would use to do that. The first is jealousy. The definition of jealousy is resentment against a person enjoying success. Maybe that would minister to you today. Maybe that would speak to your heart today. Maybe somebody else is enjoying success and you have resentment toward them. And you're thinking, how come I got resentment toward them? And it's the only reason why is because they're succeeding. And if you would start cheering instead of resenting, you would be joyful. There's no room for competition in the kingdom. Right? Jesus is is the winner. Amen? We're on the winning team. Envy. The definition of envy is a painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. That's what envy is. Envy is saying, you know what? I'm not only jealous of what that person has and their success, but I want it for myself. I want, I want that deep down. I, I would like to have that myself. Coveting is yearning to possess or have. Coveting is a big deal in the Bible. I don't know if you knew this, but coveting is one of the Ten Commandments that God gives for us to stay away from. Right? I want to show it to you. It's specifically found in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 17. 
I love how God puts this here as he gives the law to Moses. He says, I want to talk to you about the commandments, the 10th and final commandment. If we could just lock in on this last commandment, I think we could learn something from it today. If you're ready, say ready. God says, here's the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that's your neighbor's. That wasn't funny to anybody? Right? I think that's funny right there because it's like God speaking to Moses and saying, all right, this is an important thing here. I don't want them to covet their house. I don't want them to covet their neighbor's wife. Amen. I don't want them to covet the people that they have working for them. I don't want them to covet the possessions that they have, their ox or their food. Um, I don't want them to covet their... like. Out of all the commandments, this is the most descriptive. Like, what's up with all the examples here? And finally, he gets tired of it, and he just says, anything, just, just whatever it is. Just fill in the blank. If it's a donkey, if it's an ox, if it's a sheep, if it's a house, if it's their spouse, just don't covet any of it. And the reason why God is so excited and passionate about not coveting is because when we start coveting, we make God out to be um, insufficient. I read a quote this week from, from Dr. Tony Evans, and he said, when we begin to worry, we question God's integrity. Like if God doesn't know what he's doing. Or we start coveting somebody else's possessions, it's almost like we think that God's not going to provide for us. Like God's going to not take care of us or God's not going to give us what we need. We see covetousness in the Bible as a big identity theft. We see it in Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Here's what the, the author Paul says to the Colossian church. He speaks it to walk church today as well. He says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. And he goes off on a list. He says sexual immorality, impurity, passion or some translations would say lust. It's not wrong to be passionate. It's wrong to be passionate about the wrong things. Amen? Evil desires and covetousness, which is idolatry. That was cool. Um, I, I like, I like, I like the, blue, the walk blue highlight right there. Right? Covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. He says this, put it to death before it puts you to death. These are the different things that will either have the last word on your day, or you could say, you know what, I'm going to put it to death right now, a covetous, idolatrous spirit. And you can say, you know what, I have that spirit in my heart. I wish I could be what that person has. Learn from David and Saul, right? God could elevate you and before you could even imagine it. Like one day David was in the sheep field. The next day he's leading the army of Israel. Did y'all just see that happen? There was literally one chapter break. It went from 17 to 18, and it happened. What, what, what can't God do in your life? I believe that he can. I believe that he will. I believe that you just continue to trust him and his faithfulness, and he'll take care of the rest. You don't need to covet anybody else's stuff. You don't need to envy anybody else's status or lifestyle. You can be content in what you have in Christ. I want to close our time out by reading these few verses in Ephesians chapter 1, and then we'll be done today. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 7. Paul writes to the Ephesian church and says these words. The text says that he chose us in him. 
We've been walking through the book of Ephesians, and if you haven't remembered these verses in a long time, I would encourage you today to do that, that, that he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. That's an identity giver right there. That's not a thief. That gives our identity life, that he loved us enough to call us and predestine us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure. How many of you guys know that it, it brought God pleasure to adopt you into his family? Like, like it, it brought God joy to locate you and to adopt you into his family. God showed up at, at the adoption agency and said, I want to adopt Joey Gruger into my family. And I got so much joy in doing it, right? I want to adopt Walk Church into my family to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse 7, in him we have, say that R word with me, redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. I show you these verses here today because I want these to be where your identity goes. When your identity is that you've been forgiven, you can forgive. When your identity is that you've been redeemed, you'll be able to be a redeemer yourself. When your identity is in the fact that Jesus loves you so much that he's given you everything that you need, then you won't need to be jealous. You won't need to be covetous. Right? This, this is what we need to, to soak into our hearts. Soak your heart into Ephesians 1.7. You've been redeemed. You've been set free. You've been bought, bought back. When your identity is deeply rooted in stuff, you'll always need more. When it's deeply rooted in Christ, you always have enough. When your identity is deeply rooted in Christ, not only will you always have enough, but you'll always be enough. Not only will you always be enough, but you'll always do enough. Sometimes we feel like we have to do more in order to be secure in our identity. Like, oh, pastor, I'm not doing well in my walk with Jesus because I haven't fasted enough. I haven't prayed enough. I haven't read enough. Like, if you did all those things, God would be more pleased with you. See, when your identity is secure in Christ, you can never do enough. It's already done. So, right, so, so Jesus says, it's already done. It's already paid for it. You're already bought back. I've already done everything that you could ever do by dying on the cross and rising from the grave. So if you just start to remember those things and start to preach those things to your heart, your identity will come back. And you'll say, you know what? I'm holy not by what I've done, but by who he is. I'm righteous not by my own deeds, but by my righteous Savior who's made me righteous. I'm qualified not because I qualified myself, but he already made me qualified. I've done enough because he did enough. I have enough because he has enough. I'm strong enough because Jesus is strong in me. And Saul from that day on looked at David with a jealous eye. And I feel so bad for Saul because Saul never recovered. As you fast forward through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, we'll see Saul never got over it. Saul was constantly trying to get revenge. Saul was constantly trying to get his status back. If Saul would have just said, you know what? Hey, I'm going to partner up with David. I'm going to worship God too. His identity shifted. It went from joy to jealous. Right? It went from satisfied 
to sad. When you have these identity shifts, we start looking at other people and begin to get sad that we're not them. Don't do that. Be content in the fact that God loves you so much to create you the way you are. Not in a sinful way, because sin tries to rob us of our identity, but in a holy way, in a righteous way, that we can tap into Christ and we can find our identity in Him. Father God, I want to come before you this morning. I thank you that in this story we get to learn so much. God, I know that jealousy is a big deal in our culture. I've felt it before, Lord. I've felt the desire to covet what somebody else has. But I don't want that, God. I've felt the desire to be envious of somebody else. But I don't want that, God. I want to be content in you. I want to be satisfied in you. I want to be a man after your heart, God. And right now, I just want to pray for you today. If you're here in this place, and you sense that, you know, you've been struggling with maybe these things, these identity thieves. You've been struggling with jealousy. You've been struggling with coveting. You've been struggling with envy. And at this moment, you just want to release that to God and let him take that off you. Put all those things in a backpack and give that bag to Jesus. Let him take it from you. If that's you with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I want to pray specifically for you today. No matter where you came from, no matter what you've done, if you're here today and you just need to give that backpack to Jesus, maybe there's pride in that bag, maybe there's guilt in that bag, maybe there's shame in that bag, and you just need to give it over to him today, I would like to pray for you right now. If you just slip your hand up, if that's you, if I'm talking to you, you need to release that. I see your hands. I see the hands up in the room. Father God, I see hands all over the room. I see people putting two hands up, God. I got my hands up too, God. I want to pray for everybody that's responding right now. I want to pray that you would remind them and encourage them and love them and that they would just know that they know that they know that they know that they know. That they don't have to do anything else to be right with you other than just have a faith walk with you every day. To just have a relationship with you that's real. To have a relationship with you that's alive. So right now as they lift their hands, would you just ask Jesus to set you free from those things? Just say, Jesus, set me free. Everybody in the room right now, just say, Jesus, set me free. Say, Jesus, set us free. One more time. Jesus, thank you for setting us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you guys just go ahead and clap today because he's setting us free? Mm, I could just feel freedom being released into the atmosphere right now. Freedom being released into the room. I want people to look at Walk Church and say, that church is a church that's passionate about freedom. They're not jealous of other churches. They're not envious of what other people are doing. They're actually cheering other people on. They're actually supporting other people. Wouldn't that be a beautiful picture of Jesus? The gospel. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to go ahead and lead us into this time right now with our connection card. Um, if you are here for the first time or if you made a decision today, we have a connection card for you that we'd like for you to fill out. Um, this is for people that are first-time guests here at Walk Church. 
as well as for people who made a decision today. Today, if you've decided to give your life to Jesus and put your faith in him, we would just love to hear about it. Today, if you decided that you need to be baptized or if you decided that you need uh, to take a step and go to growth track, whatever that may be, would you just fill this connection card? When our ushers come down here in a minute, they're going to pass these around and uh, we would invite you to put them in the basket. Also, if you have a prayer request today, we would love to pray with you and for you. If you just put your name on the card and, you, and submit your prayer request, we are going to promise you that we'll pray for you and believe that God intercedes in those prayers and makes a difference. Amen? Amen. Amen. Our ushers can come down right now and uh, we're going to prepare to give of our tithes and offerings. And before we do that, I want to show a quick video to you on the screen. So check this out. Hey everyone, Pastor Hyden here. Hi, I'm Jeannie. Hi, I'm Kim. And we're here at the food pantry right here at Schofield Middle School. And I'm so excited about all that God is doing in the life of our church, specifically through this awesome food pantry. Jeannie, tell us about how many families we've had today. Today we had 32 families. 32 families. How many people total, Miss Kim? 153 people. Come on, 153 people are going to have food tonight and this weekend because of your investment, because of our investment at Walk Church with the food pantry right here at Schofield. And we've had a lot of people get involved. It's been so neat to see it all happen. But maybe you want to get involved. Maybe you want to volunteer your time and your energy. Or maybe you have donations for this awesome food pantry. We have a place for you. So thank you for checking this out. And we hope to see you soon. Yeah. Well, I just want to tell you guys that God is really on the move here at Schofield, specifically with our food pantry. It's been really exciting to see and be a part of and all that God is doing. Like you saw there on the screen, we fed 153 people at our last food pantry. That's crazy. Amen. Um, 32 families, it's only continued to grow. And so far, we've just kept it limited to, to people here at Schofield. One day, we'd like to open it up to the community. Um, but in order to do that, we're going to need more volunteers and we're going to need more support um, for this ministry, the food pantry we run right here out of Schofield. Um, if you would like to volunteer at uh, the food pantry, we would love to get you plugged in with that. As you saw, Miss Jeannie and Miss Kim, one of our teachers here at Schofield, um, they just decided to help us with that video. They do a great job week in and week out. Um, but you can go back to our Today I Decided tent. Right in the back of our worship service here, we have a Today I Decided tent. And we're going to have some of our leaders and pastors there that can talk with you and help you get the information you need um, on volunteering and next steps that you want to take. If you decided to do something today, go check us out at the Today I Decided tent. It's for you. Um, also, if you'd like to give support to the food pantry, we could use it. Um, as we continue to feed more people, 32 families, the financial support needs to continue to increase in order to meet the need here at the school. So as you put on your tithe and envelope, tithe and offering envelope, if you just write food pantry, we can designate that fund specifically to food pantry. Um, I would say don't, that doesn't mean, need to be made your tithe. Don't say, hey, I tithe to the food pantry. Still tithe to Walk Church, but if you'd like to give your offering to the food pantry, we'll make sure that it gets to where it needs to go and it'll be very helpful. So I'm going to pray for our tithe and offering right now as our ushers make their way down and then we'll get ready to dismiss.